Hey, everybody, and welcome to Spiel Chicago, the podcast exploring feminist work in Chicago theater. We're on summer hiatus right now, but re-releasing a few favorite episodes from the last year to Wet Your Whistle for season two, which comes out in the fall. Um, so this is an interview with Olivia Lilly, who is a badass lady director. Um, and at the time that we talked, she was putting up this show that she wrote called Mary Shelley Sees the Future, which is basically Freaky Friday with Mary Shelley. So pretty amazing. And uh, Olivia does all kinds of down and dirty DIY theater, so she will be back in season two along with three other women who have produced their own stuff to talk about women in DIY theater. How do you do it? Why is it cool? When does it suck? And why is self-producing important for women? It's going to be amazing. And to get a little taste of that, here's last season's interview with Olivia and her assistant director, Anna Gelman. I just graduated from college. It was 2012. There were no jobs as an internet, like a theater company in Chicago, a very corrupt place. And I didn't want to be there. I was a club promoter concert of this band I had found out about on the internet. The two guys in the band, I ended up in a bathtub. Singer was like, what? Make me a star. But he also was like a runaway from Oregon, built out this bus, Nashville. And he just was so cool bought a one-way megabus ticket, packed my my backpack with just like hot pants and like some t-shirts and was like, I'm gonna go drive their tour bus, fuck it. Weird, cause he like ha had had a girlfriend, of course he's like in a band. After like a day, I was like, this sucks. Flew to San Francisco and lived in like my friend's couch. Well, actually my friend's hammock. And as a runaway, I like learned how to be myself because like I just had no idea where I was gonna stay the next day, how I was gonna eat. Like then I, that's when I came up with the idea for the runaways someone offered me like a $300 room in Chicago. This whole time I was writing this like epic, like screenplay that had like four stories. Hey, why don't we just like do a production? Like, what are you doing for the next three months? So we just like rehearsed, like I rehearsed like 21 actors in my house. This is the most banana story of this a theater is, company I starting. Have I have you, this ever is heard. what it's like to work with Olivia. <laughs> Generally is this kind of thing. It's great. That's awesome. Yeah. So then like it just sort of the, the idea became that the runaways only do like the most impossible thing. So um, for people listening, can I get uh, a synopsis of the play? So Mary Shelley Sees the Future is essentially a Freaky Friday, but with Mary Shelley, the author of Frankenstein, um, switching bodies with a 2016 Chicago queer novelist. Named Maya. Maya Kelly. <laughs> Mary Shelley and Maya Kelly. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Olivia, you wrote this play. Mm -hmm. Why did you write this play? So Mary Shelley, public domain. Important. You know, Solid. She lived on long after she died through her greatest work. And it's kind of interesting that the romantic male poets around her were much more famous during their lifetime. And right now they're, in terms of like pop culture, they're like antiques. For sure. And so I really wanted to create a sh story about Mary Shelley that was contemporary. It needed to happen now. And so and about I, I tried lots all different kinds of things. I was going to do some sort of booster group kind of play where it was uh, like the haunted summer. Um, that, for those of you who don't know, like uh, in the haunted summer of like 18, it's like somewhere between 18, 16 and 17. But uh, Byron, Percy, Mary, and like all of their friends were in this like mansion in Geneva and they were bored. And, and Byron's like, why don't we just all write ghost stories? Everyone entertain me. And Mary wrote Frankenstein. She's not coming from like a Jane Austen type world. Like her and her husband, Percy Shelley, kind of had a polyamorous 
situation but she didn't understand like that consent was possible so percy was like oh we're gonna do this and she just had to go along with it so that was particularly interesting in dealing with how um in the 21st century con like consent is a thing and you can be publicly polyamorous and you can be publicly like open just about your life so what was it like for their time i didn't know that they had a relationship like I that. i mean that's the thing also is like if you want to talk about an interesting relationship full of crazy sexual politics and scandal like mary shelley's relationship with her husband was crazy he uh so uh when mary initially ran off with percy she was 16 she was 16 and she ran off with her her sister claire came with and throughout their life together uh mary was very suspicious that percy was sleeping with her sister in addition to like different men and women in their life and percy would encourage mary to have romantic relationships with these people as well and I mean, in their time, when you talk, when you think about like, what did it mean to be public and do this when they were at the Geneva house, um, people like t treated them like a tourist attraction. They would be trying to look into the windows all the time, like basically modern day paparazzi. Who do you want to come see this play? I think women. Yeah, I think women too. <laughs> women. But like that's, that's kind of like a baseline i think that's a funny answer because that's like generally who i want to see like in my audience always is women <laughs> <laughs> i just i feel like this is a kind of play where we talk about a lot of issues that women ex like feel that are not related to like romance it also totally i think will make women question their own feminism and what their feminism looks like um i think maya considers herself in the play considers herself to be an excellent feminist um and over the course of the play and her time in 1822 she kind of discovers that she's um her feminism is deeply flawed and that she could be she could be better and feel better and do better i mean like we don't get it the, like they're they're not perfect neither of them are perfect there are definite moments from mary of girl hate against jane austen it made it, made, it has made me question my feminism by working on it and i've been like hmm I could be better. I could do better. Yeah, there's this like persistent narrative that women are, I mean, it feeds into like that, that women are catty, that women are, you know, that somehow men will fight things out in the open and Honorably. women. You know, yes, yeah, so with, with great honor and masculinity and uh, women are, are furtive and will talk behind each other's backs. And it's just, not only is it damaging, it's so not true. Like I've worked with mostly women in my theatrical career and mm. it's, it's always <laughs> such a wonderful environment. Um, that actually brings me to my uh, next point. Your whole production team is women. Yeah, we're all yes. we're all ladies, lady yes. team. <laughs> That's awesome. Was that intentional, or did you just happen to compile that team? Um, I mean, actually, I mean, I'd say subconsciously, I was very much trying to avoid men. casting and working with men for this. <laughs> um, I I I think it was subconscious. Um, but I think that that tends to be how it is for me. I for most of the projects that I've been, that I've worked on, I have had mostly women working with me on the production side of things, as well as like, I tend to like doing shows that are cast entirely with women. Cool. And what do you think are that, this is something that I've been trying, like working through on my own. What are like the manifest differences, the things that change or the things that are created when uh, a team is all women? I think, I feel like our communication is very open and there's a lot less power play. I guess I guess the thing that's biggest for me is that in my experience assistant directing for men um I feel in the room that I am constantly having to prove that my opinion is worthwhile and that is never a feeling I've had in this process um and that like Olivia 
when we need to work more than one thing simultaneously, she's put me in rooms with actors and said, stage it. Like, just figure out that moment that we don't know how to, what to do with. Like, you can do it. You do it by yourself. And then like, I'll see it in the run. I never feel like I have to back up my opinions and my, like my decisions. I never have to back it up by being like, and I have experience and I know how to work with actors and I know what I'm doing. It's just like a given at all moments that I deserve to be like in the room and that my voice deserves to be heard, which is like definitely not a thing I've experienced with men. What would you like to say to men and male directors who, you know, bring in female assistant directors and maybe think that they're, you know, being inclusive and bringing in another um, perspective, but kind of miss the mark? What should they do differently that they're not doing? The number one thing they have to do is if their assistant director feels comfortable enough with them to say, this feels like a bad experience, this moment felt bad. Um, the way you're handling this wasn't the way that I think you should handle it. The number one thing they have to do is just be like, oh man, okay. And like, I think that's the number one thing I've experienced that men, male directors have struggled to do. And they've struggled to accept that they could be doing something bad. Um, even when they are, even though like generally there are a lot of men who do theater in the world and in the city who are great allies most of the time, but like struggle when someone says you're, you're handling this badly to be like, oh, I trust that. Um, I messed up. Like, let me work on that. I would say um, just to not just have a female assistant director, but have a female dramaturg or a female like like set designer or lighting designer or just like keep your team diverse and like listen to them. Yeah. And I've had an experience working for um, a director assisting for him where we were staging. We were staging a scene that was supposed to kind of look like um I mean, it's a, it was a comedy and it was like a scene between a man and a woman. It was supposed to look like there was like flirtation under the guise. It was like very Benedict and Beatrice, like under the guise of like hateful language, etc. And the way he started staging it, I was like, we can't do this. And he was like, I see no problem with this. Why this is funny. And I was like, if I was a woman in the situation that this woman you're staging, I would feel like I was about to be assaulted. And this would be terrifying for me. Like, this isn't funny. Mm. Um, and like, if you want this scene to be funny, then like, trust me you're gonna alienate a lot of women in the audience and that was like a great moment because he was like oh wow never would have thought of that cool what would you want to do and like we got to work through it but just like that's just like yeah i agree with olivia i think you just need to make sure that you're like it's not like one woman in a sea of men that is like so that her voice will not be alienated also empowering your actors to speak up when they don't feel like something rings true or they are put in uncomfortable situation is like the other most important thing. And I've had like some really uh, excellent experiences on this show collaborating with the actors on like, like some rewrites that are based more on like making sure the situation rings true for them and their experience and trusting that like they might know this character and this idea better than me. So I feel like I have a very like strong like team that we're not like when we get when there's criticism and there's things wrong, it's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing because then we work through it to the new to the b bigger and better play. You know, do you have advice for women who find themselves, whether they're actors or uh, assistant directors or whatever, um, in that situation where maybe they're the only woman in the room and they feel like they want to say something? Um, I mean, that's tough because my gut reaction would be just say it. But there are toxic environments in which that is not an option. Totally. I think, I guess my biggest advice in that case would be do what you can, do what you feel safe doing, but also just know that like you have to let it go. 
you yeah. can't fix everything at once. Like it's not your responsibility as the one woman in the room. If people aren't going to listen to you, it's, it can't be your responsibility. Another advice, another piece of advice I would give is like find an ally in the room. Uh, totally. If you if you can find like one other person who feels the same way, and you might feel stronger speaking up together. What I like most about producing theater in Chicago is that there's a lot of storefront theaters that aspire to grow, um, but there's a lot of storefront theaters that don't aspire to become a large equity house. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting that they're not like, oh, this is our stepping stone to be something bigger and like, quote, better. Like there are companies that excel at what they do and like do not need to get gigantic to continue to excel what they're doing. Actually, this is a perfect jumping off point for so the, the aesthetic of Mary Shelley is built on the idea that I cut my teeth doing DIY theater. And I think, I believe like, I don't need a bunch of fancy theatrical lights to tell a story. I just need actors and a couple chairs. <laughs> Three chairs to be exact. In a messy stage. Mm -hmm. Love a messy stage. You know? And so I'm hoping that what me and Anna and Cheryl and Malvika have made um, will feel like only the bare, only the essentials nothing that's going to distract from the actor's work. I mentioned to Olivia and Anna how much fun I've had talking to so many talented women working in Chicago theater. Uh, all my theatrical heroes in the city are women. Who are your theatrical heroes? Oh, I mean, as far as directors are concerned. Anybody. Uh, well, as far as directors are concerned, Vanessa Stalling is just so cool. Um, as is Marty Lyons. I like them Ooh. both a lot. Um, I've been in the same room with Kimberly Sr. and she's uh so intimidating and so cool. Mm. Um and then like playwrights, I mean Calamity West is amazing. Christiana Ray Cologne. Christiana Ray Cologne. Yeah. She's amazing. <laughs> Good Friday blew my mind. Yeah, Good Friday a lot. What's a new one called? I know about that. It's Octagon. Octagon. That's right. It's about, you know, poets throwing down, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, cool. she's she's definitely playwright to I mean, there's so many playwrights in this city though that are like playwrights to watch. Well, um, so when does uh, Mary Shelley Sees the Future open? Uh, October 21st, this Friday at Outer Space Studios, 1474 North Milwaukee, third floor. So there's a little, there's one flight of stairs, um, but it's worth it when you get to the top. <laughs> That's great, guys. Um, well, thanks so much for talking to me. This has been really, really awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you'd like to learn more about Olivia and Anna, you can check out our show page for links to their upcoming work. And if you'd like to know more about the podcast, you can always follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where we have updates about what we're doing and also just articles and information about cool feminist things happening in Chicago theater every day. Um, so that's Spiel Chicago, S-P-I-E-L Chicago on both Facebook and Twitter. Um, you can always email us at spielchicago at gmail.com with any uh, questions, comments, or rants. And join us for season two in the fall to hear from Olivia and a slew of other amazing Chicago artists. Thanks. See you at the theater. The Goodman Theater where it stands now used to be two old movie theaters, the Selwyn and the Harris, and they were smell-o-vision movie theaters. Stop. So the rumor has it that there's a, there's a smell-o-vision machine somewhere in the basement.